welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben. It's my privilege this morning to share God's word with you. But in order to do that, I've got to take you guys back to 1943. We were in the midst of World War II, and Bing Crosby recorded and released a now Christmas classic, the song, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And it was the perfect song for that time. Because soldiers overseas longed to be home for Christmas, right? They didn't wanna be fighting a war to keep us safe and to keep us free. They wanted to be home for Christmas just like the rest of us. And so that song was perfect and it still has remained valuable to us. And every year we play, are you here? I'll be home for Christmas by Bing Crosby. Because the truth is, especially this year, we wanna be home for Christmas, right? Whether it's a world war or worldwide pandemic, We want to be home, and we know it's going to be challenging this year because we have relatives who are compromised or we have relatives who are older and we want to keep them safe, but we want to be with them because our heart is with them, right? And that's where our home is with the people that we love. And so we're willing to make all sorts of sacrifices this year. For some of us, that means a digital Christmas, right? We'll have everyone up and we'll all be Zooming together and eating our food at our individual homes. Or maybe we're going to risk it And we're going to do something outside. And whether it's negative 10 or 45, we don't care. We're going to sit out there because we love grandpa and grandma. We're going to keep them safe. And we're going to keep them 10 feet away with their turkey. I'm going to sit over here, but we're going to be outside, right? Because we just want to be home for Christmas. But the truth is, when there's not a world war going on, and when there's not a global pandemic going on, we still want this. We've always wanted this. From Adam and Eve all the way to today, during the holiday seasons or during those festival seasons, during the good times and bad times, we just want to be with the people that we love. So throughout this Advent and Christmas season here at New Life, we're going to start a new sermon series called The Way Home, where we're going to talk about what is home and how do we really get there. And we're going to talk about all the familiar stories that that you are accustomed to. So I want to invite you throughout this Advent season and through the Christmas season to join us week in and week out, whether it's here in person or online. Invite a friend, right, by sharing the Facebook post so people can get connected or maybe emailing them and say, hey, we're going through the sermon series. All the sermons are available on demand. You can watch them whenever you want, but join us week in and week out as we have this conversation, this familiar story and talking about what we all long to be for Christmas, which is home. So today, as we start, we're going to encounter a young lady, a young lady looking for a home. And we find her making her way to Bethlehem, where she ultimately makes her home. But it's probably not the young lady you're thinking of. It's not actually Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's actually someone who came centuries before. Her name was Ruth, another young lady. 
who finds her way to Bethlehem to make her home, a young lady looking for her home. And this is her story that we read about in history. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. So as the writer sets up this piece of history and records it for us, they give us a a great context, a great lens to work through. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, not only does that give us a time frame of when this happened, but it also gives us a context to see how do the people see the world? How do they perceive life? What was going on? And how do they see God? Which is probably the most important part of this conversation. You see, when the judges ruled, there was something very specific happening. What would happen is this people would sin. They'd fall into sin, just like all of us do. But God would come and bring a judge and he would punish their sin, right? So you'd sin, you get punished. And the ultimate goal of God, of course, is to correct us. That's why he punishes our sin, to get us back on a better path, to go where he wants us to go. And that's what would happen. The people would sin, the judges would show up, they'd be punished. Sometimes they'd go in the right direction, sometimes they would just keep on sinning, but that was the pattern. So if you lived in this environment, if you lived in this time frame, this is what you expected to happen. And you can see where you get a very specific view of God if you live during this time. You might view God as kind of vindictive, right? Just waiting for you to make a mistake so he could pounce on you and punish you, right? That's kind of how you saw God. But in the midst of this context, we run into a family. We see a man and his wife, and he's got a couple sons, and he's doing something interesting. Instead of going to Bethlehem, that's, of course, we all know Bethlehem because of the story of Jesus' birth, right, in Bethlehem. Instead of going to Bethlehem, he's actually going away from Bethlehem. Now, why is he doing this? Because he's hungry, right? They need some food, and there's a famine, so they go to a place where there is food. But here's some more details about this family. The man, the name of the man was Eliakim, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So we get some more details about this family, and and we see that they moved from Bethlehem to Moab, which we already knew, but now we're going to understand a little more context. You see, this is very interesting because if you lived in Bethlehem, you were an Israelite. And if you lived in Moab, you were a Moabite. And this is where the problem lies. You see, the Israelites and the Moabites, they did not get along. In fact, oftentimes they were fighting if they weren't at all at war. This was the relationship. It was contentious. The Israelites viewed the Moabites as second-class citizens, right? They were not good people in their mind. And the reason they viewed him this way is because of their origin story, which I'm not going to get into all of that today. But the Moabites had just a very dark origin story. And so the Israelites and the Moabites, they didn't get along and they did not associate. Which means when this family moved from Bethlehem to Moab, we know that they were desperate, right? They were desperate. So they moved there because of the famine, which means they had probably sold off everything they'd owned, sold off their property to go there because they had no other options. Well, this is what happened when they showed up. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. 
So after living in Moab for a while, what happens? Her husband dies. Now remember, this is the time when the judges ruled. So what's the context? What's her mind telling her? She's thinking that God is punishing her, right? She did something bad because she moved from Bethlehem where all the Israelites were and now she's living in Moab. Now, of course, that wasn't against the law, but there was a little tension there. And to make matters worse, guess what happens? They make their home there. And so after a time, what happens? The sons naturally want to get married. And so they marry two Moabite women. Now, once again, this isn't expressly forbidden in the Torah in their book of, of laws, but it's definitely frowned upon. In fact, there's a component that makes it very, very difficult for them to coexist is that the Moabites were not allowed to worship with the Israelites. Now, imagine you're going to marry somebody, but you actually can't go to church together because they aren't allowed to go to your church. You see how that would make this relationship very, very challenging. In fact, so challenging that the Israelites wouldn't marry the Moabites because of this issue. Not only because they were second-class citizens, but because this dynamic was challenging. In fact, in Scripture, we're encouraged not to live in this dynamic. We're supposed to marry people who have the same spiritual DNA for us because it becomes very challenging when one is a believer and one isn't a believer. Or in this case, one can go to church and one can't go to church. Or of course, in that day, we're not talking church, we're talking temple and things like that. Right? You can see how this relationship was very, very challenging. Well, let's see what happens. When they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So for about 10 years, Naomi and her family, they, they make their home in, in Moab. Over time, of course, these sons get married. And what happens to them? Well, they both die. Of course, this is a great tragedy when you lose your kids, right? But once again, what's Naomi thinking? I moved to Moab. I let my sons marry Moabite women. Is God punishing me, right? Is God telling me that I'm doing something wrong and is he cursing me because of that, right? That's what her, her mind is. But here's the problem. Who's she left with now? It's now her and her daughters-in-law. Now, this is an incredibly complex family dynamic. Maybe some of you have lived through a family dynamic like this, right? Because what's your connection to these young ladies as a mother? Well, it's your son or it's your sons. But when that son isn't there, what is this person to you? I mean, especially when there's no grandchildren, there's not a lot holding you together. And you assume they're probably going to go marry somebody else. And, and then what happens? Do you still send Christmas cards? Do you still have conversations? What all happens here? And this is so complex. It's so challenging. Naomi has lost everything, and now she's about to lose her daughters-in-law. In fact, this complexity is dealt with in Scripture. In, in the Old Testament, we see that they had a solution for this. You see, if you were a mother and you lost a child and, and you had a daughter-in-law or son-in-law or whatever the situation was, right? if you had a daughter-in-law, then your son, your other son, would marry the daughter-in-law, and then keep the family together, right? That would keep the grandkids there. That would keep the wife there, the widow there. And they would, they would fix this. this there would be the solution for this problem. But here's the problem, right? She lost all of her sons, and therefore there was no one there to, to fix this problem. So there's just Naomi and these daughters-in-law. So what's going to happen with Naomi? Will she have any family whatsoever? Well, this is what transpires. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law 
from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. So they start going back, right? She's going to take these daughters-in-law, she's going to stay in relationship with them, and they're going to go back to Israel. But this would be a problem. And Naomi once all the emotion is kind of washed away and she starts thinking clearer, she realizes this is a problem, right? As she's making her way to Judah with these Moabite women, she realizes what's going to happen to them when they show up. You see, now she's poor and she has no way to really make a lot of money to provide for them, so they're going to be poor. And when they show up, guess what Israelite men who all live there won't do? They will not marry these women. Right, which means they will not have husbands, which means they will not have kids, and they will be second-class citizens. This means that Naomi is bringing these young ladies into a, a very horrible re- experience, a very horrible life, and she starts thinking through that. She starts realizing that, that what she's doing is not going to work out well for these young ladies, and so this is what she does. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them and they wept aloud. So Naomi gives them a blessing, right? Gives them direction and gives them a blessing. You need to go back to your home. Go back to your mother, go back to your land. And then my hope for you is that you will find a husband, right? You are released. You don't have to worry about me. Go find a husband, go have kids, go have a a great life. Well, this is what they do. They said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way for I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, Would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. So Naomi starts laying out this very real reality they're going to live in. Right? If you come with me, it's going to be horrible. We're going to be poor. No Israelite man is going to want to marry you. You're not going to have kids. So go in this direction. In fact, if I could create a solution, the only solution that that I could create, Naomi would say, is that maybe I could have another kid and then I could force them to marry you because of the laws, right? Then we could keep the family together. We could keep us together. But there was a problem, right? She's too old to have kids. And even if God does some sort of amazing miracle like Abraham and Sarah or something like that, right? Even if if she has this happen to her, are they really going to wait like 18 years to have husbands? Of course. Of course not. Right? So she says, go your own way plus. It's obvious that God is not happy with me. He keeps punishing me. Right? He keeps turning on me. I'm cursed. And and if you're around me and I'm cursed, then you're going to be cursed just by relationship. So you need to go in that direction. So this is what they do. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah listens. Right? She kisses her goodbye. She goes off. We don't know the rest of her story, but she probably got married. She probably had kids. She probably had a fairly good life. But Ruth's story would be very different. Ruth clung to Naomi. 
And she clung to Naomi because Naomi was her home. We know Naomi was her home because that's where her heart was. That's where her heart is. So this is what happens next. So she said, and this is Naomi talking, see your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So once again, she encouraged her, go back, right? Go back to your home, go back to your family. And then she adds this part and go back to your gods. It's almost like a test, right? Go back to your gods. But that's not what Ruth does. Ruth stays. And not only does she cling to Naomi, she clings to Naomi's God, which is Yahweh, which is our God. And this is the response. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. The response is, my heart is with you. Because my heart is with you, I'm gonna live where you're gonna live. Because my heart is with you, your people will be my people. Because my heart is with you, your God will be my God. Because my heart is with you, even when you die, your home, your nation, your people, they will be mine. But she's not done. Look at what else she says. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you. You see, Ruth understands what Naomi is going through. She understands that Naomi feels like she is being cursed by God. So she says, look, if I don't follow through on these commitments to you, then may I be cursed as well. In fact, even more so. Even if you were to die and I'd be released from this vow, if, if I were to move, I want God to curse me. I want God to put everything that he's done to you on me and even more so. But for every curse, there's a blessing. Right? For every curse, there's a blessing. And so as Ruth says this, there's an implication there. That if I do the right thing, then may I be blessed. And as we read through that long lineage today, where I mispronounced probably 25% uh, of the names, right, as we worked through it, whose name did we see? We see Ruth's name. Because Ruth made her home in Bethlehem. And she marries an Israelite man. And they have an offspring. And you follow her lineage, and who is her great-grandchild? King David. And you follow it even further, and there's a young boy born in a stable in Bethlehem. Why is he born in Bethlehem? Because that's where his family's from. Because Ruth made her home in Bethlehem. So this is how this piece of history ends today. Now Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. She said no more to her. After this long dialogue and Naomi trying to put Ruth on a different path, she sees this, that Ruth is not going anywhere because Ruth is home. Ruth is home. You see, as humans, oftentimes what we do is we, we think of home as a building. We think of home as a structure or a location. And so we, we think of things like our childhood home, right? We become nostalgic about these things, the town or the building or our room or the posters we had, whatever it is, right? We have all this nostalgic buildup of our childhood home because we naturally take the structure and the memories that are all intertwined with it and we think of that as home. 
Maybe for some of you, you're not thinking about that home, but you're, you're actually looking forward to your dream home, right? Someday when you have arrived or someday when you've amassed enough money, then you're going to have your dream home and it has a specific location. It has a specific look. It has all the amenities that you've always hoped to have. And that's your dream home. And you're looking forward to that home. For some of us, we think of our current home, right? Our current residence it might be an apartment, it might be a home, it might be your dream home. I don't know. Maybe it's a home you hate. But even in that home, you have that nostalgia, you have those memories, you have all those things that make it home because of the people who have lived there, the memories you have made, and they've seeped their way into the carpet, they've seeped their way into the sheetrock, right? It's just a part of your home is all those memories and all of those people that those memories are connected to. You see, we connect our structures to the people. But I think we've learned something this year in 2020 that our buildings and our locations are way less significant than the people that we love and the people we're trying to get connected to. And that's why. That's why Christmas, you're gonna sit outside in the freezing cold just to spend time with people, aren't you? Because it's not about the place, it's about the people. And that's why at church, we're gonna not even cram in here because we can't cram in here, right? We're going to have less than 100 people probably in every one of our services, which is going to amount to the lowest in-person attendance in our church's history after last year, which was the highest attendance in church history, right? And that's just because we want to be where our heart is, not because the location is special, because we want to be with the one who has our heart, which is Jesus. And we want to be with the people who are connected through that heart of Jesus, our family in Christ Jesus. We want to be with the ones that we love. So in 1943, Bing Crosby wrote a nearly perfect Christmas song. But the ending was flawed. At the end of the song, what does he say? He says, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Where did he miss See, in his mind, in his song, he was thinking of home as a location and not a person or not people. You see, it wouldn't have sounded as good, maybe it wouldn't have sold as many records, but it would have been a lot more truthful and scriptural if when Bing was working through the song, he said, you know what, we got to change this part. It actually should end with this. I'll be home for Christmas because Christmas will be in my heart. It doesn't sing well, <laughs> but it's filled with scriptural truth because here's the thing. Our home is truly where our heart is. Our home is truly where our heart is. And as believers, our home is found in a manger of a little boy who grew up, died on the cross for our sins, and made his home in our hearts. Now I don't know what you're 